Angels with dirty faces. I'm gonna fight for the prestige, not for me, but to uplift my little brothers who are sleeping in concrete floors today in America. Black people who are living on welfare. Black people who can't eat. Black people who don't know no knowledge of themselves. Black people who don't have no future. I want to win my title and walk down the alleys. Settle on the garbage can with the wine heads. I want to walk down the street with the dope addicts. Talk to the prostitutes. Living legend. Living legend. Welcome back to Old Ute Radio. I'm Johnny McKeon. With me in studio, as always, Sasha Bloom, Brittany Johnson, and our special guest today, very special guest today, Frankie from Frankie and Jess from 97.1 ZHT. How you doing? Dude, I'm good, man. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. One of my favorite people in Utah. How are you, sir? I don't know how to take that, but thank you. I don't know. If you, <laughs> I know. I appreciate it, bud. You're the nicest man in the world. Oh. Everywhere I go, yeah. it's 45-minute conversations with the public to you. Anywhere I go in iHeartMedia, it's, oh, my God, Frankie's the nicest man in the world. So, yes, you are the nicest man in the world. Not the nicest, but I, <laughs> I, I love what I do, and I love uh, meeting people. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a blessing to, to be able to do—we always talk about this on the air, but to do this for a living, you know, you kind of—you you pinch, pinch yourself. You know, it's, 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 it's crazy to, to, get to, to get to get up every morning, and then as I'm in the shower getting ready, going, wow, I'm doing this for a living and getting paid for it. There's no stress involved with it for you. Oh, there's stress. Yeah. There's stress. Yeah. But it's not it's not the I mean there's stress in everything that you do, but it's a different kind of stress. Mm-hmm. And it's still at the end of the day, the end of the month, whatever that you know when you get ready to go on vacation, again, you still look at it and go, this is what I've always wanted to do since like 14 or 15. And I, you know, I know people I'm from Detroit, so growing up, I saw the, you know, they wanted to get on with the big 3. GM or Ford or Chrysler, and then they'd come out like 20, 25 years later, and they were like a shell of a person. And I remember that. I'm like, I don't want to do something because I have to do it. Yeah. You know, I want to love it. And I remember my dad at a young age, because my dad was, you know, he was a hardworking blue collar, both my mom and dad. They were, you know, that's where we got our work ethic from. And I remember him saying, you know, as long, I don't care if you're digging ditches, just as long as you love it, then do it and I'll be supportive. And I think my dad loved what he did in trucking, but it wasn't what made him tick. But he kind of had to do it, if that makes sense. It does. You know, yeah. and then seeing all that around you, friends and family in Detroit, I just remember going, oh, I, and I, I knew early on, 14 or 15, I, I didn't know what direction until I was a little older that I wanted to go into mornings, but I knew I wanted to go into radio. So I went into the broadcasting school right out of, you know, out of high school, but I kind of had that flame somewhat, you know, starting that spark, I guess, inside me. Early on. So I just knew that I didn't want to get into a job that I hated because I'd worked enough, you know, as I was doing in high school and kind of getting into radio, working uh, what I say, like real jobs, you know, with the the real air quotes. Um, But I didn't want to do that because it just life is too short, you know, and I want to do something that makes me tick, that, that, that makes me feel alive, you know. You never thought about going into TV well, yeah, you know, but nothing like full time. But I, I kind of doubt I, that's the best of both worlds. Now I get to, you know, I do stuff on on KSL and all kinds of other different stations in the market. But I've been doing a thing once a month for three or four years with uh, Studio Five with Brooke mm-hmm. on KSL. And it's it's a what's he thinking segment. So there's three guys that she has me, this other guy, Sam and Steven. We all we all know each other. We didn't know each other at the time until the very first, you know, kind of grouping together. And I love it. So it's a good way to dip my my toes in that. But I, I don't think I ever see myself doing that full time. You know what I mean? Like go, transitioning over from radio to TV. I mean, I love the the medium of radio, you know, because there's a little bit more. It's freedom. more personal. Yeah. yeah. And you can connect on, I mean, really, really. Not that they can't because there are some, you know, not, there, there's a, you know, TV personalities they can. But we have a little bit more freedom where we can make deeper connections, I think. Your career is very interesting to me because I'm not sure that a 19-year-old kid today is going to be able to have the type of career you have in radio in terms of having long segments where you can talk and stay in one market for 20 years. Right. You don't see that anymore. You don't. Um, it was heartbreaking in the business when I broke in in like 89, 90. Uh, that was the reason I went to a broadcasting school. I wouldn't suggest it to... Oops, I'm sinking in my seat here. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't suggest it. It just kind of went down on me. Did you see that? All of a sudden, I can't see Sasha. Hold on here. Let me just do this. 
Okay, so uh, I wouldn't suggest doing the broadcasting school because there's a lot of fly-by-nights out there. Now, where, where I'm from in Detroit, it was a really credible, people knew about this school, and it was the only way for me to break, break into the industry, kind of get my feet wet. Uh, it has changed now. It's a different business. There's not a lot, and there's not as much opportunity in this business. As, even like when I was breaking in, it was starting, the, the automation was starting. And it was archaic. I mean, it was the, what they call carts. I don't know if you remember the old cart decks. Sure. You remember those? So, I mean, but I mean the, the, the carousel carts, those, mm. the, that was like automation. So I remember like I'd work overnights in this AM station outside of Detroit in this little itty-bitty farm market. And I'd have to go and change out the weather in this automated country station. It was like carousel. And it was like somebody that was piped in from a different market. So even then, you know, in 1990, 91, I guess is when I was on with that station, I could see that, you know, the, the opportunities were... We're, we're, we're getting to the point where they're going to be less and less for somebody like me coming into the business. Now, fast forward to 2016. So when you talk to somebody that's young trying to get into the business, it's a tough business, as you know, to break into. I suggest, you know, just doing whatever you need to do. And that is if you want to be on air or you want to get into sales, whatever, take whatever the position that they have open and, and, and get that foot in the door and then go from there. Because a good example is, you know, Wayne. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you know the history with Wayne, but he had been emailing me. And Wayne is a guy, for people that don't know, Wayne, Wayne is a guy that works at ZHT, and people love him. Mm. And he's been with us for, what, a couple years now? Three years now. Three years? Yeah. And he does promotions and does you know, on air, but he's just this really, this really, I don't know, infectious guy. And I remember he had emailed me for probably two years before he finally came in because he was in the area. He was up in Logan going to school. And I could just tell he was a radio geek. He loved it. You know, and he would email me certain things, and we just would go back and forth, and we'd talk radio. And then one day, he said, I'm, I'm going to be in Salt Lake. I said, dude, stop by the station. I'd love to meet you. From that point on, I went over to Helen in our, you know, our sales department, our, our sales manager, and I said, I don't know if you can use him as far as maybe well, this could be his foot in the door, but when he's ready to graduate, I, I think you need to interview, at least sit with him and talk to him because you could just see it in his eyes. Like, he was hungry, and he was willing to do anything, and he is. I mean, that's a good example that when I talk to people now, younger people, it is a tough business, man. It's a tough business. But if you, if you come into it and know that, you know, like what I knew go, coming into it is you're going to have to pay your dues. You know, there's going to be going to be a lot of shiz, right? A lot yeah. of stuff that you have to put up with, a lot of politics. Try to stay out of that stuff. Try to just try whatever it is that you're shooting for. If it's on air, if you want to do a night shift, if you're looking to do afternoons, if you're looking to be APD, you know, uh, assistant program director or music director, you know, have it in your sights, but then know that it might take you a little while to get there. But in the meantime, it might, your dire- direction might change. You might find something that totally is like, oh, I like this better than what I, you know, I thought I wanted to go into being a music director, uh, but then it might even tra- transition into records. I mean, you know how this, like you meet some record reps. You're at some shows, this and that, and then all of a sudden, I, I want to slang records, you know? I don't know why you would <laughs> in 2016, especially how, how the, the business has changed, but you get what I'm saying. It's, I think there is opportunity still in this business. There's definitely not as much like when you're looking at with the old, you know, when I was doing overnights, and it was a physical, like a, a, an actual position. Now it's automated. Mm. But I think it's, it's up to you, and that's the thing, man. you got to have the drive. you got to have the discipline. And, and the thick skin and, and, and the patience. I think the patience is a big one. I think there's too many people that give up too early because it took, it took a long time for any I mean, I moved around. I, I went from, you know, from, it's not like I worked in Detroit. I mean, I worked around Detroit. I interned at a big Detroit station. That was kind of a cool thing. One of my very first internships, but I worked at little markets. I worked in Ann Arbor. That was kind of where I got my somewhat start like a part-time radio start that led into that farming market it was a full-time gig and that was overnights i was i was literally spinning records and got a chance to hone my craft and then you know even back timing up to abc news got a chance to do a little local news and it was like there were 10 people if that listening and i think two of them i was related to you know they were tuning in <laughs> out of sympathy you know, to listen to me um but yeah you just have to have the drive man you have to have the drive and and just i don't know there's it, it sucks because I see too many people giving up early, you know, and I saw that when I broke in like however many years ago it's been. I mean, I, I went to school with some guys and it started off with a class of about, I was about 48, maybe 50, something like that. It was a big class. And then by the time we all graduated, it was only like a little less, it was a little less than a year. So it wasn't like a long run in school. There were maybe 24 of us 
And then out of those, I think there's one, two, three. I want to say there's maybe four or five that I I'm, I don't even I'm not positive about. Right. I think they're in the business. But that seems about right. The trajectory of this Probably. career. I yeah. mean, it really cuts the mediocre and the I think so dispassionate quickly. Mm-hmm. You can't succeed. Well, and the, a guy that I went to school with, and we were kind of in this little. It was like this trio. This is his name was Dave, and this other guy. Dennis, who's out in Milwaukee, and he's been there, and he's uh, he's been you know radio as long as I have. But this other guy, Dave, who we kind of clicked together, and we just for whatever reason get gravitated towards each other. We you know we, but he, within six months, he was like, I, I want to be a program director, and it's not happening. I'm like, dude, it's not going to happen in six months. <laughs> I mean, and it might you might be a program director of a small market, which is great. And then you got, but you got to start somewhere. And then he said something about how he had this opportunity to manage a bowling alley in Chicago and make thirty grand a year. And I thought, you know what? Okay, that's great. Good for you. But I mean, that that was going back to the whole thing of me growing. I, I don't want to do something just to do it. I want to, you know, I want to put my heart and soul into it and get something where it makes me feel alive. And and I know to this, I haven't reconnected with him, but I did see him on Facebook a little bit ago, and he's not in radio. So I don't. He could be happy. He could be very happy. But I'm just saying, he gave up way early. You didn't have any worries about moving markets, moving across the country. Like, it was that part of your passion, part of your plans? Like, I'm gone. If I get a call from Miami, I'm gone. You yeah. Know? That at the at the start it was, and I remember it was back in the day when you and I say this now like to young, younger people and they're like, what are tapes and resumes? <laughs> but I was sending them out to every, including this is the funny thing, uh, including the big markets. I saw I sent them out to everything from your Lima, Ohio, which I actually had an interview, and then I saw it when I went down there, I was like, mm, no, I'll take the Adrian gig, which is the one that was like seventy miles outside of Detroit. But I sent them everything from Anchorage to. You know, little cities in Maine. I remember Key West, and I was thinking that'd be great. You know, of course, when you're young, like Key West, I could I could retire, start and retire there at that station. But I, I was willing to go anywhere, and that was the thing. And and that's when I went from Detroit down to Fort Myers. I had a friend who had just moved down there, and I didn't have a gig. And I was trying to. And this is pre-internet. This is pre-everything, right? Where you had to pick up the phone and and try to research out and look who the program director is. And luckily, I got a guy who was from. He was from Sterling Heights, which is outside of Detroit. So that was our little connection. He said, here's the deal. Nobody's going to hire you all the way up there in Detroit. There's nothing that's full-time. You don't have any experience. You're going to only get part-time work. You need to move here. If you're looking to come down here, that's, and that was the case for any city that I want. Like if I want to get a, get a job somewhere, you know, I remember there was a, um, a big, well, it, Toledo's not a huge market, but there's this big rock station. And I was just back in Detroit with my wife and my mom for a memorial for my father who passed away. But uh, this station that bled into, and I'm kind of, I'm just going off in different directions here, but there's a point. Um, So there's this station out of Toledo, this big rock station that I sent tapes to this station too. And it it sounded like it competed. I mean, it it got into the Detroit market and it just sounded bigger than life, even though I know now that it was a small to medium market, but the PD had this thing sounding like we're competing with not all of Detroit, but some of Detroit. You know, I grew up listening to the station, one of the you know many stations. But I remember she called, I, I called to see if she got my tape and resume. And I don't know if she was BSing or just, you know, blowing smoke, but she actually took my phone call because, you know, as you know, a lot of people don't take your phone calls. You don't get any type of letters back. And this is back again before pre-email. So I didn't have any, I think I had two letters in, in my career where somebody said, and they were actual handwritten instead of like a form letter. Uh, but she took my phone call and she said, you know what, you're, and again, I don't know what she was, but it, it helped me. She said, you're cream of the crop. We don't have anything here. Uh, I don't know if you're ready for this yet, but just, you know, keep going. So that was one that I was like, thank you. And I needed that to hear that. And then that guy down in Fort Myers, who was from Sterling Heights, he said, you know, you need to make the move. So long story short with that is I was willing to do anything. And I had a friend who'd moved down there. He said, if you move down here, you can stay with us until you get a gig. And I had a gig. I was pretty you know, stoked about it. I mean, I literally was pounding the streets, going to station to station with a tape and a resume, you know, in, in Florida for about a week and a half, two weeks. And then I had an offer for a part-time swing. It was at a top 40 station. So that was my first real, what I, the way I look at it, the first real gig, because I was doing AM stuff before and just kind of, you know, running a lot of sports programs and until I got that gig in Adrian and then I was playing the music and everything, but that still was a small little farming market. Nobody was listening. So this to me was like a huge opportunity. I mean, it was a massive, it was a hundred, I think it was a hundred thousand water, a CHR down in Fort Myers. And it kind of bled into Tampa a little bit. I didn't really care about that, but I mean, I was like, I'm on a station. It was a new top 40 station. So that, you know, was part-time, I mean, part, part-time swing. 
Uh, so I would do like a, a late night 10 to 2, and then I would do the overnight 2 to 6, so essentially 10 to 6. Um, I would do that sometimes where I do a 10 to, or what was it, a, 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 a 6 to 10, and then I would come back and do like midday show, or sometimes I would crash if it were an overnight, and then I would, the morning person would come in, and then I would do the midday thing, and I'd go crash in the conference room on the floor. I mean, I was doing a lot of that for quite a while until it led into a late night gig and then the, the night show for a little bit until I had to leave. And that is because there, there just wasn't, you know, I hit that ceiling. You know what I mean? I asked for a, thir- I said I was making ten five a year and, and working two jobs with it. I was searching land titles. <laughs> and I was, I, was, I, was, I was a secret shopper for Kelly Temporary Services. But never in your head was there, I'm going to quit, I'm going to give up, mm-hmm. like those lonely nights in the hotel when you're waiting. No, no. Nothing, huh? No, I had, uh, it, you know, and, it's, and, and I hate comparing this because it's, you know, far, it's, it's, people think I'm like, I'm not comparing myself to them at all. Uh, but M&M had that, you know, their failure isn't an option. And it really wasn't. And it was, you know, this is pre that song and everything. In my mind, I just didn't have anything else to fall back on. And I didn't want to fall back on anything else. You know, I knew I had, I could do this. And I remember one time when I did make that move, you know, my parents were really good about this. Made the move down there. And I know my mom was kind of like, oh, no, because my, you know, my brother moved to New York, I think, about a year or six months prior to me moving out. And then here I'm leaving for Florida. And my mom, I think, you know, she wanted us to go. But I think at that point... It freaked her out because we went so far away. Yeah. So one time, because I would check in with my mom and dad like once a week on a payphone. So if you don't know what a payphone is, <laughs> how it. much did they cost back then? Yeah, I, I, it was a collect call because I was I didn't have any money. So my mom would accept the collect call, and I do remember one time that my and I think it was actually my dad that when I was checking in with him. So one, you know, I talked to either one of them uh, on the phone, and I think he said one time, you know, you can always come home. I said, thank you. I know that. Because I think they could sense that, I mean, I, it was, I was scared to death. I was still scared. Even when I got the gig, I was like, okay. And I had to work these other jobs in order to make ends meet. And I had three other roommates and three of those guys. Well, two of the guys worked at the station. Another guy was a friend of mine from Detroit that moved down. So it was, sure, it was, it, it was scary, but there was never a doubt that it w- wasn't going to make it, yeah. if that makes sense. I no, mean, it does. It was terrifying, but I, I knew, I'm like, I, can, I know I can do this. When I go back and I speak to the kids at my or the students at my old school, Cal State Northridge, Mm -hmm. uh, and they want to get into TV and radio. The first thing I tell them is be prepared to go anywhere. You're not going to stay in L.A. A lot of people, I don't know why they think, oh, I'm just going to get a reporting job in L.A. or San Diego. I'm like, no, you're not. Right. You need to apply to Alaska, to smaller places in Idaho, Texas, all that kind of stuff. So. I don't think they really believe me. No, it's, it's <laughs> can you can you tell people what really goes on to what really goes into putting a show together? You're not just popping up on air. Mm-mm. What goes into actually putting an entire show together? Um, well, with our show, it, it, it's basically oh boy, that's a that's a tough question. I was actually talking to a friend of mine who he was in interviewing, and he's uh, I worked with him actually in Fort Myers, and it's not, talk about you know small world or, not, or I should say full circle, but yeah, this is it's it's a small industry. But we were talking about our prepping styles, and he's very similar into you know how I prep, and and Jess puts into the to the show with the the entertainment faction of the show, and and just everything that we bring into the into the show. It's it's I don't know how to how to put it into words. I mean, I can tell you how. I guess putting a show together. Um, I mean, I could tell you what I do day to day, but it's more of it really, it's just putting your heart and soul into it, if that makes sense. I mean, you're, you're, I'm constantly on, I'm con- I mean, a good example is, uh, and I know I said when I first started this, I'm kind of running on fumes and I, I actually had a good little, like kind of re- a nice little relaxing day yesterday. My wife and I we went up to the, to our cabin and just spent like the day there. Usually we'll spend a couple days to try to unwind. Um, but I'm all, even if I'm unwinding in that sense, I'm always like, if I can't, if I'm driving, I'm like, oh, t- take this, email me this. This is an idea for the show. Or email me this. Or if I hear something on the radio or whatever, I'm like, ooh, can you do me a favor and go to, you know, Google this and find that and send that link to me. Or I'll, if I'm sitting there. So my point is, like, what goes into the show is, as far as the prepping or putting a show together, everything. It's everything that we do. And just, like, day in and day out, like, you know, if there's something that happens, like with my wife, we have a, a let's say a discussion or maybe it hits a nerve. And I'm like, well, I'm going to jot that down. I'm going to turn that into either a topic or at least a discussion, you know, so maybe we can get have a little fun with it or it can be a little deeper than that. And you're, you're, so that's kind of going back to that connecting. I'm always thinking of 
it's not even really consciously thinking. I'm just thinking of things that I know that interest me, and I know they'll interest our listeners. It's just you, you just have to tap into that, and whether that's something that is a news story that you can go, you can talk about it, so then that way you're topical about talking about something in the news, or maybe it's something pop culture. So again, you're topical, but then I like to extract little like topics or something. I'm like, okay, here's something, and, you know, and then I'll use a, a story about a personal story about me to get into it. Or maybe we can just use the, you know, the story that's in the news, the pop culture story or the news story. Or Jess might have a story or somebody in the room might have a story. Uh, but then you throw it out there and then to hear, you know, that to connect on, on that level. So going back to the question again, I don't know how, like, how to put this show together. Um, you're just always working. You're always working, yeah. And you got to, I think with anything that you do, I don't know that, that that's even a, a good thing to say. Because uh, I think there's a, that, that could be a bad thing, right, if you're always working. Mm-hmm. But there is a balance. I mean, I know the balance of with what we do. So I am always on. But, like, if, let's just say if we're out of town, because I know I, 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 I tapped into this a little earlier. Like, okay, I need to have somewhat of a balance. And that is when we're out of town, I'm not always on my phone or, you know, like away from, disengaged from my wife or from loved ones or whatever. Uh, but I found a way to, because it does make me tick and it makes me feel alive when I'm always thinking, ooh, that would be good for the show. Ooh, that would be good for the show. So if I'm so if I'm laying there, it's in the evening and my wife, you know, she's well now she's pregnant, so she really goes to bed. You know, she's like she's out like that, right? <laughs> but I think a lot of women just they fall asleep, or maybe it's just me. I put women to sleep. <laughs> um, but she, let's say when we're there laying in bed or something, you know, we're you know winding down the day if we're away somewhere and if she's dozing off, then I'll go through and I'll start returning some emails, you know, and I'll start like going through some some of the Twitter feed and seeing like what's coming, you know, what are people talking about? Boom. Oh, that's interesting. And then I'll just, so I'll start compiling things. You know, I'll, I'll look for the right places, I guess, to do that if I'm on vacation, you know what I mean? But throughout the day, Monday through Friday, or even throughout the weekend, I guess that's when I'm looking for the right places to do it. So I'm not disengaged from, from, from my loved ones, but I'm always, I'm all, you're always doing it. I mean, it's I'm a sure. a hard balance. Yeah, it is a hard balance, but once you can make it work, then, then it's not really that difficult, you know? But it is, a, it's just a constant thing. And I don't know how to describe it, but you're just constantly, and, then, and like, again, that's probably good and, and bad. But for me, I don't think it's bad because I'm able to balance it and I'm able to, because it does feed me. It's not like it stresses me out. You know, like some people where they say, I can't get away from my phone yeah. and this, oh, and I got the, the, the whatever, but it's not like that for me. I'm like, okay, this is, this is something that, you know, we can't do it Monday or Tuesday because the show's kind of filled, filled or you know, full, but we can do it Wednesday or Thursday, or I can just put it in the stack here. If it's not a, something that's time sensitive to talk about, I can set that there in case, like, I always, because I carry my bag full of, you know, if you've ever seen my prep bag, it's huge, and it's, people are like, well, what's the deal? I'm like, well, I think somewhere deep inside, I'm thinking if we ever have that earthquake and we become trapped in that studio, I think we'd be able to do a full show for like three months straight, like just an, an, an you know, a, yeah. a show for three, four months. I'd have four months of shows in that bag, you know. <laughs> it's like my, it's that hoarder thing in me. Like hoard, I hoard everything. <laughs> One of your great skill sets is being able to balance funny with serious human impacting topics. A lot of radio people, especially in this market, just go to the wacky penis jokes and stuff like that, but you actually take time out of your life to care about your audience and you'll talk about cancer, you'll talk about multiple sclerosis, you'll talk about the difficulties of childbirthing, a lot of topics that most people won't touch. And I I think that's a remarkable thing and it's refreshing. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. I I think it's something, you know, when when you have things that are going on in the community, I, I think having a show, it's almost your duty to do that, but we want to, but I think it, you, you, you have some sense of a, you know, you, you need to, if you're part of, if you're doing a radio show and especially if it's a local show, then I think if there are things going on in your community, you need to help get the word out, but we want to, I mean, that's the thing. We want to help spread the word for a certain cause um, because we're, we're real, you know, we, we, we are all affected by, or maybe we're not like directly affected by something that's going on, but then we might have an acquaintance or somebody that we know that was, you know what I mean? So I think there's, there's that faction of it. And then when you're talking about just real life things, I mean, that's what makes you real. I was just talking to a buddy the other day who's in radio and he's been doing this for as long as I have. And we were talking about the whole feeling vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I talked to another guy in radio that I connected with, speaking of LA, and this guy's he's a really good guy, but we were talking, and 
I'm, you know, I'm, I'm married for the second time. And, and I know that I kind of had this epiphany a little bit ago, but my, my current wife, Tammy, my wife, <laughs> she had said something <laughs> to me and, and it was something that we'd said on the air. And she said to me, um, you, you never share that with me before. And I remember, and that's when the light bulb went off and it went off a little before that, but that's when it really went off. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm more, more vulnerable with the listeners than I am in my own relationship. So I think the vul- you know, being vulnerable is a good thing. And the fact there that I, ha- that I was able to like, okay, and, and then sin- I've since let my walls down. But when I was going back to that guy in L.A. and talking about him, to him, he's the same thing. And when I mentioned that little story to him, it blew his mind because I'm like, dude, here we are. And, the, you know, we do the same thing. But think about, you know, we're more vulnerable with our listeners than, than, than we are with, with our spouses sometimes. And if you can tap into that, right, and if you can actually consciously go, okay, I'm going to make sure. But I think that going back to what you're talking about, I think that makes being vulnerable like that, it just makes you real. I mean, we're real. We're just, we're, again, we're just blessed that we get a chance to, to do this every day. And, but it's a way that I, I, I think I can speak for Jess, you know, that we feel connected. You know, this is a way that we connect to, to, to people. This is a, it's a, maybe a weird way to some. But to me, it makes me feel, again, going back to making you feel alive, you know, is how I connect with people. And, and so when I meet somebody and they'll say, I feel like I know you, I know that's, this is what they'll say, I, I, it feels or sounds so weird, I feel like I know you, and then I'll come back with them, and it's going to sound even weirder. I feel like I know you, and I've never met you. Yeah. And they'll go, well, that does sound weird. I'm like, well, you can't come at me. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't say that and then come back and throw it at me. But it does. It's, it's a weird kind of symbiotic relationship uh, and I love that's it's 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 that's why we do it. When people say, you know, because the, the, the people coming up to you, that's the icing on the cake. I love that the people that feel, you know they feel and, and they say I listen and I, and, they, and then I love that they listen. But the ones that say I feel like I know you, that's why we do this. And I don't know why, but I, that's I feel alive that way. I feel connected. I really do. So authenticity is obviously really important with being a good DJ, but what else does it take? Like, what, what have you learned over the years that have really, like, taught you that, that this is what it takes to be great? Here's what it takes. It takes discipline. You got to have passion, right? And I think and this goes for anything. So are you talking specifically to get into this? Because inter- I think this applies as applicable to anything. Both. <laughs> so you have to have discipline, and that is with anything, right? And you know what I mean by discipline. Yes, sir. Right. Uh, you have to have the drive and a good piece of advice that my dad gave me, uh, years ago is that I think I mentioned a little earlier is don't, he said, don't, don't get involved with the politics and you're going to have politics and whatever you do. No, it doesn't matter if you work at a quarry, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you work on radio or TV, you're going to have the BS of the politics. Right. And I remember him saying, you know, just, and I was a young kid when he said this, but just do enough or just just play the game enough to, but, but don't get involved in it. He said, kind of navigate your way through it, but don't get involved in the politics. Uh, but that that's another piece of advice. And then work ethic. If you, and I don't even know. I don't know if it's. I mean, for for my brother and I coming out of our family, my mom and dad were hard workers, and that is a blessing and a curse, I think, because it can be again if you can't make that, or you're, you're you're getting into that balance. If you can't tap into the balance, then it can be a curse. But that is. You need work ethic, you need discipline, you need drive and passion. And if you don't have those, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I don't know what to tell you. Because there's so many, I mean, going back to, um, you're talking about some of the younger people coming into this business, that's one thing that, you know, you don't see a lot of work ethic. The work ethic is pretty... That's what I was about to ask you yeah. it's, it's lame. And, and, it, and you know what, now we're in a second, so, so this is almost 20 years ago, when I started here, it's almost 19, coming up on 19 years ago. We'd have young kids coming out of college, and they'd be starting off as interns, and they would want, you know, they're, they looked like, yeah, yeah. And then you, but then 10 minutes later or an hour later or two days later, you would start to see this, this drive and this laziness coming out. And then they would be like that guy that I went to broadcasting school with. Well, I want to be a program director. I'm like, okay, that's great. Now, that's a good thing to, to aspire and to try to achieve, right? But, but then... Just they were lazy. I remember, I remember one guy in particular that came into the building, and he had literally was doing stuff on our show, and people were starting to know who he was, and then they were using him in uh, other parts of the building. So all of a sudden he had his foot in this door in this industry, and I think he's still doing radio, but he just kind of 
looked, I don't know what he did. He was just, he just, and I had a couple conversations with him, but he was, the, the, the laziness started to come through the work ethic. He didn't have any, but he was starting to do remote broadcasts where he was making like a hundred bucks an hour doing a broadcast. And I remember, I'm like, dude, you don't realize how good you have it. And you, this is a good thing, but what are you doing? Like all of a sudden he was supposed to be running the board or something for somebody. And it was the board basically on its own. It was an automation and he took off to get a haircut. And I remember uh, Jeff, our program director, he took me aside because I vouched for this guy. So I took him aside, you know, a couple. So my point is the work ethic was was really and I thought uh, he kind of fooled me, you know, like coming into it. So I've seen a lot of people with just lame work ethic coming into this. And that's the that's the parents, man. I don't know. I I really do think the parents have a lot to do with it. Not always, but I think that's 90 percent of it is going to be your parents. And if the parents are coddling. You've got these parents now that do, well, we don't want them to, well, you, you know what? You got to instill work ethic, man. And that's at a young age and whether it's with chores or whatever, but if they're not, by the time they hit their teens, if they don't have any type of work ethic, I, I think, because I've seen, you know, some of those late teens, early or late, early twenties coming out of college or the ones that are in college. And it's like, man, did your parents not, did you have to do anything around the house? You know, did you have a paper route? And that was so. That's that's one of the big things I would say. Work ethic. That's a huge one. So what about? I mean, do you 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 see it? I'm sure, right? With I young, see it. Young and kids. It makes me mad. And sometimes I have to think: Should I? Do I have the right to get mad? Yeah. But like you said, you're doing something that you love. So when you see someone, especially when you see someone that has talent, and they're not putting in the work ethic, right? They're not dedicated. They're just not going above and beyond. It really makes me upset. Me too. And I don't know. I, I seriously have to sit there and say, should I even be mad? Right. Do I have the right to be mad? Well, I think that depends on your relationship with the person. So, but yeah, like if you're bringing the person into person into the station or bringing them into the business or at least, you know, maybe taking them under your wing. Yeah, I, th- I think. Or, or maybe just like, look, you know, set it up, preface it with, hey, no offense, but here's what I see. You know, because I've said some things to people and then other th- times I just let it go and think it's unbelievable because it is. It's really... It's it's bad. I mean, you you can tell just when you go anywhere to any type of business, and this is what I hate, is like if you don't like your – if you're a younger person or whatever, but this goes in, in, in general. If you don't like what you do, then find something else and do it, right? I don't, I don't want to see like going through a drive-through and then somebody is there and they're, they got attitude or this or that, right? Yeah. Find another job then. Uh, but you see it in every, every, every day, like people that are lazy – I mean, you go into a business, a store, and you can see the ones that, that have work, work ethic, and you can see the other ones that don't. And I think it's, that really is, is you know, fast forward 10, 20 years down the line, that, that it's not good. You know, and then you look, okay, so this is, I'll get really deep with you. So this is one that I've talked about on the air before, and, and I'm from Detroit, and when that industry, the auto industry, when it imploded, there was a lot that went into that, Right. Uh, so you've got politics, you've got corruption for years, and you remember when everything in 2008 when it just imploded. Uh, a lot of that, and I'm going to tell you something, a lot of that, now there's a lot of hard workers there. So I'm not coming at the hard workers, but I saw a lot of laziness when I was a kid. And there's a book by, his name is Ben Hamper, and he's a friend of uh, Michael Moore. So whether you like the guy or not, the book is called Rivethead, and his name is Ben Hamper. He writes on his experience when he worked on the line at GM back in the day in Flint. So you remember Roger and Me, that the movie yes. that was done on that? Mm-hmm. So this is a book that when I read it as a teenager, I had already known this because I had friends, I had some relatives, and I remember I would like go over to a certain friend's house and I'd say, well, what is your, what's your dad doing home? And he'd say, oh, well, they, they kind of punch each other out, they, you know, so he'll take a day off. And these plants were so big. I mean, they were like small cities. So you wouldn't see a manager or a foreman for could be a couple days. So they would cover for you. And they'd say, oh, so-and-so's over there. And they, oh, okay. But they would punch, you know, like if you're taking the day off, they'd punch you in and punch you out. Yeah. And I remember when I was little, and I would see that, not always, but I, or not a lot, but I would see it and hear more of it as I got older. And I thought, well, how effed up is that, right? That's, an F, that's really lame because I come from this hardworking family. And then being the, okay, so we're seeing the product of that. So do you remember driving cars in the early 80s, late 70s, that you'd dr- drive down the freeway and they'd stop? It would just stall? <laughs> yes, do you remember I, that? Yes, I do. And I can remember my mom going, son of a 
<laughs> you know, she's driving us, and I remember that. So you had a, a very crappy product that was coming off the line. So here I'm a kid. I remember tapping into this, or you know, like at least you know somewhat going, okay, this is this is a problem because here I've got so and so and so and so, and their dads are they're taking the day off, and they got people punching in and out for them. So that's messed up. You know, here we have this crappy car that you remember the life of cars back then was if you had a car for more than five years, whoo, <laughs> right? And if you, if it hit a hundred thousand miles, holy crap, that's a lot of miles, right? And, and if you if you had floorboards in it. You know, if you had like three out of the four floorboards, you were looking good because everything was rusting through. You know, it was just a crappy, crappy product coming out. So when the auto industry imploded, I remember thinking, well, there was a sense of entitlement, arrogance and laziness that I saw from a kid. And I could see that coming as a little kid going, this isn't going to be good because you remember in the late 80s, you had your Hondas coming into the market into the U.S. market and they were building a superior product. And now, uh, you know, it's changed. They were forced to change. You know, so you've got your, your manufacturers out there and your, your, your Fords and your, and, your, and your Chevys that, I mean, they had to. But back in the day, but that, was, that goes back to having a, you know, the work ethic wasn't. So you, and again, I'm not coming at because I think there are a lot of hardworking people. I just think there, there were a lot of lazy people, too, that added to that whole culmination of problems. I wonder if it has to do with the specialization that unions have created. Because when I work in TV in California, in Vegas, Mm -hmm. my only job, let's say I'm doing utility, I can only touch the video cable. I can't help audio. I can't help anything else. And it slows it down. You see all these people sitting around while there's this old audio guy who's spending six hours trying to get his XLR cables out, but no one can help him. I think uh, that's a, a big point, and that was another reason why. So back in the turn of the century, you needed unions. You needed them. They, they helped people. They helped protect people. Because the workforce got really screwed for a long right. time. Yeah. Yeah. But then it got into, like, what you're talking about. So instead of somebody, you know, where you want, like, okay, I, I want to speed up the process, then you have people that can't do it because it's not, they're not supposed to. Then you have other people that take advantage of that. So I'm drunk on the line. Right, you mm. catch me. I'm drunk on the line. Good luck trying to fire me. Yeah, because I got a, a a union rep that's gonna you want you're not gonna get rid of me. And that was the problem for years too. So you'd have guys getting you know going back to the auto industry just to use it as an example of laziness and kind of arrogance and kind of that kind of thing. But that whole so now I'm just really going off on a different. But it, 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 what are we talking it's about still, here? It's still a problem. Yeah. It's still a problem yeah. because I see that at my last job I, there was a union. And it's just, you can't get rid of anyone. Right. And people know that. So they're like, what are you going to do? Fire me? No, nope. right. I've got the union behind me. And, and the, But you're starting to see less and less of them. And I don't, I, I, it depends on the industry. But you know they got rid of the, the, the uh, you know, the, so you don't have that in Detroit. Yeah. Like, like it was. I mean, they got rid of it. I think it was like a closed session overnight kind of thing. Where, but they had to do that. It would have been riots in the street. Yeah. You know? But yeah, so I mean, it, it's... It's crazy how, how you needed something like that before. You really did. And then all of a sudden now you, you take advantage of that situation. And it's like you said, good luck firing me, you know? One of the things I struggle with as a young broadcaster, and it's, I don't have this issue so much in TV, but I do in the radio side, is being competitive against your peers. And you're a perfect example because you have a morning show and you're the highest rated show in Salt Lake, in Utah. But... Down the hall from you, you got four other shows you're competing with, and they're friendly with you. Mm-hmm. Then you've got, you know, other Broadway and Cumulus. And how do you keep that competitive fire? Because um, you have to be competitive, I guess. Yeah, I'm competitive, but I, you know, I, I really don't, I don't know how to how to put this in, into words. I, I kind of use the analogy of, because uh, I heard, the, heard this before, you can't, you can't lo- uh, win a uh, race looking behind you or you can't, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't, I, I mean, I don't really think about them. I don't think about competition. I think about what we're doing. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people, a lot of bosses, you know, you've got your, especially with corporations, you know, that are own that own these, these, these companies and you have people that are just knee jerk and they're like watching, you know, cause now you can literally watch like in that break, you know, it went, it went up and then it went down when you said the weather. Okay, and went back up again, and then so these people that are—it's like, look, man, you are, right? You're like you're overthinking it. You're overthinking it, and then you're letting that kind of stuff win because that you know I've had conversations with people, bosses, you know, in the past, going, here's the thing, you know, all that information that you're looking through—that's great, 
and you know, send me stuff from here, you know, here and there on, on something that you think might help. But I don't want to know about it because I know what we need to do every single day, you know, Monday through Friday, week after week. And if you let, if you start thinking about even like, you know, competition down the hall or across the street or whatever, if you start letting those things seep into your, into your psyche, and all of a sudden you're starting to plant these seeds. I don't, you know, I just think, hey man, we're doing what we, we know how to do it. We love what we do. We have fun doing it. And don't, don't waste my time with some of these details that over, you know, long term aren't going to matter. And especially with the knee jerk terms, you know, when people are looking at it, well, this is information. We need to change something. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We know what we're doing and stop, you know, so you have certain people in, in positions where they're like, whoa, 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 why, why is it showing? It's like, you know what? Let's just, we'll ride it out like we have. Ride it out. When you start over, overthinking things or freaking out is when things, that's when people, then they make decisions and they say, well, we need to do this and let's do this and let's change this up. And then you, you know what I mean? Does you're that all, make sense? Yeah, you become a new yeah. show over Yeah, there. exactly. So, I mean, as far as that goes, the competition, I don't really, I mean, I think and respect them and then there's this yeah. mutual respect for some more, some more than others, right? Because you know, like what can go into certain shows that you know that are on the radio and you're like, Ugh. Uh, and then other shows, that being said, so I'll, I'll, I know of, you know, a show or two in town or just people that are on the air and you're like, okay, they've been on forever and they're just kind of mediocre at best. Yeah. And that almost like, so I'll tune in every once in a while and that almost fuels me. There's a lot of that in, the, in this yeah. country, mediocrity. Yeah. yeah. And then that kind of, in a weird sense, I'll listen to it and go, and I know I'll never be that way. Like as far as, you know, they lost the drive or the passion, you know, and you can almost hear some bitterness in them. Sometimes I don't know if you know him. I know exactly what yeah, you're talking you about. Hear it. So that I don't you, you'll you'll tune in from time to time and it almost fuels you. You know, it's like a it's like a fire. Like okay, it's just kind of I don't ever want to be that way, you know. But it's not like you're fixated on it. Sometimes it feels like I'm like man, I can't stop listening to these people. You're a host and you have Jess there with you, and you've been doing it a long time. How do you deal with your internal conflicts that you have with each other? Because you are a family, right? You know, I, I know. And you, so there has to be conflict at some point, whether, you know, you say something or she says something or you just you're cranky. How do you deal with that type of relationship and then be able to fix it? Well, knowing that we both know that, you know, if something's ever where you're on the air and you can tell because that's the thing, you know, somebody well enough to like, oh, oh I, uh oh, <laughs> I hit I hit something on this. And then you can tell if it's going to be good coming out of there or if this person doesn't want to. You know, and vice versa. Like if I'm, you know, but then sometimes I'll turn to Jess or somebody else in the room like, okay, I'm having a bad day. And for the most part, the mantra is everybody's got their crap, check it at the door. But but that's that's easier said than done. So I guess you just, you know, you 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 can see if, if someone's angry or whatever. And then you're like, okay, or if maybe this little thing goes back and forth on the air, this little rift uh, or exchange. And you're like, okay. And But when we go into the break or when we leave the show... You just you're not taking any of that with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of like okay, it's it, it wasn't anything. It's not anything that's mean spirited. You know, there's it's not going to be something that leaves a like a residual that, that that that's there. You know what I mean? So it's that, but it is like a relationship. You're absolutely right. It's like a, I mean, like a marriage. There's no question. So you have to, I guess, you know, the older I've gotten and I've had some you know years of therapy, so I've grown in a sense. And you kind of use some of those things that you learn, some of those techniques. Of you know because it's it, it works for whether it's your you know the your significant other or just relationships in general. So, but some of that stuff can really you know make some good radio. But at the same time, you don't want to do it at a, at a certain cost. You know what I mean? And you have to value your co-host or your partner's thoughts and opinions. Mm -hmm. You can't just be like, "This is the way we're doing it." Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. No. So you take into consideration their their thoughts, and you know. But and then there are times where in the past, and and I'll say. You know, I appreciate the the input, but this is how you know. I know this is the direction we're going to go, and we're going to go this direction. And you know, luckily, it's been the right direction. <laughs> but there are times where I'm like, okay, I have to take because I am the, you know, I'm the host of the show. Not that you don't have the, the same amount as as far as the mic goes, but I'm directing the show, I'm choreographing the show, and I'm kind of the one that's leading it. So just follow me. I'm not going to you know lead us off a cliff. I promise. <laughs> but just trust me with this. So, so there's, but, but there is that mutual, absolute mutual respect where, you know, you've got to say in what we're doing, mm. you know? 
So you've been you've been working in the Salt Lake market for quite some time now. What what have you learned about this market as opposed to like Detroit or even Florida? Like what are the differences? Uh, this market is uh, obviously it's got it has its quirks, and I had my preconceived notions before I came to this market. And if you would have told me, and this is what I tell everybody, if you would have told me. 20 years ago that you're going to be in Salt Lake. I'd have been like, you're smoking the drapes. I am not going to be in Salt Lake City. Okay? And if you would have told me you're going to be in Salt Lake and happy, I said, you really, you know, there's no way I'm going to be both. And I love it here. Uh, but before I came here, there was the whole thing that everybody else has. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, the Mormons. And do they really have horns? And you got to watch out for the ones with hats because they're hiding the horns. And you hear all these weird things. And, and, and you know, and some of the things that, you know, from living here for so long, and you know the stories that make it, and you're like, okay, these are the things that, that make us sound like a bunch of yahoos that live here, right? But there's also good that comes with that, because I like to say it's, a, it's like a, it's a slice of heaven. It's a best-kept secret. So I like the fact that we've grown, right, as a city. We have, have uh, it just like, we've grown in every which way. I mean, we're very progressive. I mean, things have changed, and it's been slow growth, right? I don't want to, I don't know, I don't want it to explode, because like, I think somewhere down the line it's going to be like a, a Seattle or so, you know what I mean? Like, it's getting there. It's yeah, getting there. It's a hidden they're preparing gym. for it. It is. Yeah. It, and as soon as, and I thought the Olympics were going to be like, oh no, here we go. Everybody's <laughs> going to find out about our city, and they're going to come in. But the growth has been good. And and again, the court. You know, I'm a Catholic guy, uh, Jack Catholic, because I don't really, you know. So, um, but when moving in, I thought, well, maybe because you hear stories, you know, am I, I going to be accepted into this city? And I'll tell you what. As soon as I moved here, within two weeks, I felt something. I don't know what it was, but I felt something in my heart that I love this place and I want to make this place my home. So I don't know what it is. I know that it's, uh, they're all about family here, you know, and, and it, I mean, it's got its pros and its cons, but at the end of the day, the pros outweigh the cons. But Dallas, New York, Boston never crossed your idea mm. in terms of that next projection of your career? Well, the thing is, we've had offers along the way to go... We could go anywhere, yeah. and we could. We yeah. could go anywhere, and I don't want to now. And I, I remember when we were first when we first started the show, and we it wasn't like a you know a big jump. There were a couple markets that made some offers. I'm like, no, I just got here, and I'm not moving again. And, I, and there's something about this place that I really like, and it's you know I feel like like I said, it was my heart. I think I could make this place my home. So now you know we get offers and. You know, where we could go to a Miami or Atlanta. I mean, that was a, a bit ago, but I don't want to go anywhere else because it's not about, I mean, you can't put a price on where we live. I mean, and the happiness. I mean, they're really, I mean, you got to start looking at things like that. At least that's the way I look at things. And, you know, we make a, a good living here. So I'm not, it's not like we're, but, but, and I could make probably double or triple in a, in a New York or a, Right. Yeah. Or, you know, top five market. But then you're spending more too, you know, spending more. Yeah. I don't know what I'm getting as far as, you know, and, and I go back to Detroit and some, some of my relatives, do you ever want to come back? It's like, no, I know the guy who does mornings at our sister station. He's a good guy and he loves it here. And I, you know, I haven't been back living full time in Detroit since like 91, 92. So again, my home, almost 19 years here. So this is like where, where my, you know, my heart will always be in Detroit. That's where I, you know, grew up and I've got family and friends there, but my home is here. So I don't know. I love it here. When I do work with Fox TV and ESPN and the major broadcast companies, they always tell me that the best place to work for them is Salt Lake City because of the professionalism in broadcasting in this town. And I really believe that, whether it's TV, radio, we have some of the best I, broadcasters, producers, directors anywhere in the country. I agree. And I, there's a real hustle here in terms of being technically sound, having a great work ethic, where these people tell me, you don't get that you know, in Vegas and L.A. and Chicago and stuff. And that could be speaking to, to my point of, you know. Happiness. Exactly. Yeah. And you Quality get people. That, yeah. And you, it's like, and there are people, I mean, I know, and you know people in radio and TV here that could go anywhere. Yeah. They could go anywhere. Half this building. Yeah. Right? Anywhere. And it's like, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to be here. Yeah. I want to retire here. And that's what I've been trying to tell, you know, the powers that be for. It's like, look, this is a no-brainer, man. It's a no-brainer. I don't want to go anywhere. So, yeah, I think that's right. You're, you're exactly right. There's so many talented people here, but they've found that this is that best kept secret. You know, it's like, OK, this is a cool place. Yeah. I mean, look at the you get, look at like actors and actresses, you know, the, all the entertainment all up in Deer Valley and Park City. Everybody's buying more and more now that you hear every year. There's 
more and more people that are. Justin Bieber lives here now. Exactly. He's got oh, a... God. He does, right? I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Salt Lake is going down. <laughs> well, he's not in Salt Lake. He's oh, in Park City. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's funny. But yeah, I mean, you've got people that I think have known that you've, in the entertainment industry outside of Utah, and they've had their places here. But now it's getting that word is getting more and more where people are starting to, as far as the entertainment business, they're starting to buy places in Deer Valley and Park City. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's incredible. People. You know, it's funny about like talking about skiing or snowboarding or just the mountains in general. Colorado, and I love Colorado. I've only been a couple of times, but you know, Denver always gets the, they're always the ones getting the props. And it's a cool city, don't get me wrong. But when they tie the the two, like Denver and the mountains, and you know, with skiing and all that, I'm like, yeah, you mean when you got to drive 100 miles away? Exactly. You got to drive two and a half <laughs> mi- uh, hours or three hours one way when we can be literally from my driveway, depending on what canyon I go to, you know, anywhere from. 15 minutes to 40 minutes, like on the lift. I can be on the lift. I mean, that you can't put, right? Or some of the hikes that you go on. It's it's something that is out of right out of National Geographic from my driveway to, you know, a lot of the trailheads within 20 minutes. And that's like you're in the, in the hike. So within, you know, 25 minutes, you're actually starting to see above the valley a little bit or depending on where you're hiking. It's just incredible. And the quality of life here is on, it's insane. One of the things that I really struggle with is time and place and when I can say something to a boss and when I can't say something to a boss. Cause I know there's people in this building that don't like me, which I, I'm right there with you. You know, I mean, I, I like you. I'm saying I'm right yeah. there. There are people in this building that don't like me. Yeah, I like you, but I get that. No, I, I know exactly what you, how you feel. And I don't know whether to take it personally. I don't know whether to, defend myself against these people or let it go my my modus operandi now is just let it go it doesn't affect me i'm still paying my bills in another area right but there's this childhood dream of mine of wanting to work for someone like you or someone like aj or you know just a great broadcaster Mm -hmm. it's like well this never going to happen in this building you talk about staying out of politics but how do you really keep your ego and your feelings out of that the only thing that when I'll um, – and I've gotten better over over the years with this because sometimes it's the whole picking and choosing the battles. And sometimes it would be just – I would battle. Like, you know, because if, if it was something that I believed in and I would I would fight, you know, fight for it. Passionate, you know, because I've had people say, well, you know, uh, over the years there's somebody might have said, oh, you're a high-maintenance show. And I'm like, I'm not in the GM's office or the program director's office once a week or once a month or, you know, once every three months for that matter, yeah. because I'm passionate and, and believe in what I do and what we do. And if I speak up because something I don't think feels right, that doesn't make me high maintenance. Um, so going back to what you're saying, I, I think over the years for me personally, I, I'll still do that and still fight, not to the death, but I'll fight yeah. and speak up for something but it's the picking and the choosing, uh, you know, uh, what battle, like, uh, is it worth it? Yeah. You know, if it's something that's like, you know what, it's not worth it. Because as you know, in this business, I mean, there are just not everything is worth it. Yeah. You know, just let, let some of that stuff go. But if some, something is in question that you don't believe in, and there's nothing wrong with, see, a lot of people, their perception is if you stand up for yourself or you're, you're asking questions like, why are we doing this? Or like, I don't think we should do this. People think that, you know, that even people outside, but, but they think it's being insubordinate. Like, you can't question it. Yes, you can. I'm not saying, look, man, I'm not going off on you. I'm I'm asking questions and I'm saying, give me some reasons and why we're doing this. Because I believe in what we've done and what we've built. So I'm not going to take, like, you know, some, you know how this business is where they're like, well, this, you know, this so-and-so article or this person, this consultant said this. And it's like, okay. Well, I want something to back it up with. Yeah. I'm not just because I've been in that position where, you know, earlier in my career, somebody will say, well, do this. And I'm like, well, but this way is the way we're doing it. And it seems to be working. No, do this. And then three months later, okay, remember that thing you were doing before? Go back to that because it, <laughs> it didn't work. So, so as I kind of got a little bit more established in what, with what we do and what I do, I just, you know, I pick and choose my battles. But if it's something that really where I feel... You know, like, I need to stand up to this. I'll do it. So I guess going back to just, you know, if it's something big or something that speaks to your core, then absolutely stand up and, 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 and speak your mind, you know, because it doesn't make you, you're not being insubordinate if you're just, 
if you believe in what you do, right? You believe in yourself and, and you're passionate about it. But a lot of people, I think, they, you know, they don't want anybody speaking up because then it's like, well, then you're, you're this unruly employee. And it's like, no, that's not what I am. Yeah. I'm not an unruly. I just believe in what I, I care. do. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Where do you think radio is in the next 10, 15 years? Because there's a, there's a lot of drama in television and radio right now, especially with advertising dollars. Yeah. Uh, and the loss of cable and television. I think it's going. That that's the. Th- I think right now it's still, uh, you know, in, in the in the wild wild west uh, as far as podcasts goes. I think I think um, I think radio with what we do will. I think we'll have a place for it, but I do think that's going because our listeners. We, you know, we we post our shows on podcasts, so we have to kind of change with the change. Mm. You know, you have to kind of go with that direction. And a lot of it is podcasting. I mean, I, I like to listen to things outside of our show, different podcasts. And because I'm always, I love to learn different things. And so I think with, with radio, uh, I, I don't really know where it's going. I do know that, I do know that if you, again, going back to, you know, you believe in what you do, I think there will always be a place for it. And you have that drive and that passion and that discipline and, and just kind of go, you know, believe, go with your gut, but then be willing to, to change a little bit, like if, if, if it's saying, okay, because we're trying to, and we, we've been trying to do this for the longest time, have cameras in the, in the studio, and that was for TV, and now it's more like digital or live stream, that sort of thing. So I think we're, we're trying to push for that again to get in, because... You almost have to. Yeah, and you got to listen to or, or watch, like where is tech, technology going? So it doesn't mean that it's going to, because you remember when satellite radio came about years ago, and they're like, oh, it's going to be the death of terrestrial radio, and it's like... No, it's not. No. I mean, there's a place for satellite radio. There's still obviously a place for terrestrial radio. And I think that there's always going to be a place for this because of that. We're going back to that thing at the start of the, the podcast here when we're talking about that connection, because we really can connect on a deep, deep level. And you think about that when you're in your car or you're doing whatever you're doing and, you know, you're listening to us or listening to somebody on the radio. I still have this connection when I'm listening to people. I mean, I love the, and it's all geeky, but that, that Coast to Coast with George Norrie, and I mean, it's all across the board with all their topics. I mean, I've been listening to that guy for years. I'll listen to it on One the way the in. greatest broadcasters ever. And he's from Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think there are too many social media outlets now where shows can get lost? There's, there's definitely a lot out there. Um, there's no question about that. So I guess the, the question of like oh, oversaturation, you mm-hmm. mean? Yeah, I mean it, that's the you know that's that there's the good and the bad with that. So you've got the bad that you're oversaturated and trying to cut through, uh, but the good is you know if you are good, then you will eventually you'll kind of you'll you'll break through. And I think that's with what with what we've done over the years. You know, there's that you going back to the media. There's mediocre radio all around. You know, but if you really stay true to what you do and love what you do and have the discipline and the drive, then I think you, you kind of shine through and you outlast the other ones that are just like, oh, I'm putting together a, a podcast. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you just keep going and, and know what you want and need and the other stuff, to, you'll, you'll shine above the rest. I mean, I think that's with anything. And wrapping up here, you're having a baby. Congratulations. Mm. You freaked me out. I'm like, I am having a baby. <laughs> are you <laughs> nervous? Are you... Uh, I am, uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm terrified. Are you kidding me? I'm terrified. I'm ecstatic. Yeah, I'm excited. So thank you for that. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's weird because it's he's coming. It's coming. He's coming September 6th. Uh, but we're hoping, we were just talking last night and hoping that he doesn't come early because, you know, they can come like a week. Well, they can come really early yeah. if something goes wrong. And, you know, I'm 45 and my wife is 44. We did the IVF, the donor egg. So the egg is 21, which is good. So she's, and she's really healthy. But, you know, they still consider her a high risk being 44 years old. Yeah. So there's that. So you, you, you just, you know, and I know it sounds so cliche, but you're, you know, people are, oh, I just hope it's healthy. But we really just hope it's healthy and he comes on time. I mean, early, a week early is fine, but don't come any earlier than that because I'm not ready. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, boys, you're, I got a 14-year-old kid and your life is just about to change. See? And that's what I hear. You're going to be coming in the morning with no sleep. I mean, you probably don't <laughs> sleep enough as it is. So if you could give me one piece of advice and, and, like, just anything, good or bad or whatever, just anything that comes to mind, what would it be? Cherish every moment you have okay, with the good. child. And I, don't hit him. Don't hit him. Nah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not planning Because I, uh, I never got hit as a kid, and I remember my grandmother... I walk in after a long day of work, picking up my kid, and she's chasing my son down the hallway with a, with a wooden spoon. <laughs> and I 
I almost, it was the first time, like, I've never hit a woman. I've, I've never even hit a man. And I got right up on Graham and I was like, you don't ever hit my son. You don't have that right. right. No one has the right to treat a human being that way. Good call. And it, 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 I actually cried when I was driving home. I was like, I can't believe my son is in this environment, even though grandma loves him. Right. And he's had one of the greatest human beings in the world, but it's, it's a different generation. Yeah. You they, have to yeah. have patience with little kids because yeah. they're going to scream. They're going to get sick and they're going to keep you up. But you have to understand they're babies. Right, right, right. And that's, yeah, that's, and I'm looking actually, which it sounds weird, but I'm looking forward to those, those, those different challenges and just the different, you know, it's going to be a 180. I know that. And so, reading. You, every day you got to read to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've started reading in the belly. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I've kind of fallen off that a little bit, but I was reading all kinds of stuff like the kids books and National Geographic articles and stuff. I was like, this, okay, this is like, I'm not going to freak you out. I'm like, actually skip past this. I'm going to go to the, but I would, I would read like the little articles. There. It's kind of funny. Anyway. 97.1 ZHT. Every morning, 6 to 10, you can find Frankie and Jess. If you don't get up at that time of hour, go on the Download the iHeart app on your phone. You there can you get go. it on your computer. Type in Frankie and Jess on the search bar. It's right there. It'll come up. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Anything else, Mr. McKean, you quiet boy over there? Uh, I just want to talk Opie and Anthony right before Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the one thing. Yes, okay. <laughs> so what exactly happened <laughs> from your so, perspective? So, well, this is, well, and I'll tell you, this is how it happened. It wasn't like, like from my perspective. This is what happened. Let me bring this back so, just a yeah. little bit for our audience because Opie and Anthony's not huge in Utah. No. So in October, media outlets and salespeople love to October everything. Hmm. It's, you know, just where they try to sell stuff. So Opie and Anthony and the jerks that they are, they're like, we're going to start Jocktobering people. We're going to go around the country in every market and find their number one show. We're going to play their audio Mm -hmm. and we're going to make fun of them in really mean, horrible ways. And you got that distinction of being Jocktobered. Well, and it wasn't from... Here's how it happened. Okay, so at the time, this was like, what, 2008, right? Yes, sir. So at the time, I was with my ex-fiance, Michelle. So she's from back, she's back in Jersey. That's where she's from. And her brother, Mark, he's always, and he, he's, he's a great guy, but he's a huge fan of Opie and Anthony. And he would always bring up Opie and Anthony. And I remember, so in conversation, we had, I think we had him on the air for something, or maybe her on the air. And we were talking, and we made a crack about him listening to Open Anthony, and that was the extent of it. Mm. I mean, I don't, you know, I didn't have anything, I didn't say anything bad about him. I was just like, oh, because he's always, you know, because when I would talk to him, he would say, um, he would just say things and what they're doing, and maybe you guys should do the, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, but it was all, and it was, you know, it was a nice guy. And so I brought up that fact and didn't say anything bad about Opie and Anthony. And apparently, some people that listened to Opie and Anthony, you know, they, they called in very passionate, <laughs> you know, so they got in touch with them. So then that's what, you know, I guess spawned the whole thing where they sought us out and they started making fun of us. Now, I didn't know that. And then all of a sudden, when I told the story of basically, we didn't say anything about you guys. I don't know what, you know, why you, 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 and then it stopped. And I remember. I remember, I don't know if, I don't even know how, because it was 2008, but I do remember saying on the air, like, you at least owe us, like, a flowers or a fruit basket or something. <laughs> something for the crap you put us through, because then it just stopped, and they realized that the, what, what what they thought was said. It was like the telephone, what is it, the telephone game or telephone yeah. line when you're little in, in elementary school? It was like that. So they had heard from somebody, from their listeners, that, you know, when, and then, in fact, we didn't say anything bad about them. I think they actually found that audio when I had my ex on, and she was talking, and then all of a sudden we brought up Opie and Anthony, and nothing came up yeah, about them. Other they, than... they got very quiet. Like, yeah. It was kind of... So you, it so you heard the, it, so I didn't even hear yeah, that. Yeah, it was yeah. one of their worst ones, because they didn't really get on you at all. They're like, I think their biggest thing about you was like, Anthony was like, yeah, I started in Boston and ended in New York. Like, that's the biggest thing they could say, because you're really good. You turn on their show, and you listen to your show. You guys are funny. You're nice. good. Thank you. You know, do you take that as a badge of honor? Like, one of the biggest shows in the country... Or at least the most shock value shows in the country is banging on you guys? Or? I get, then, no. no. I was like, oh, man, what are you picking on us for? I'm like, and we didn't even say what you thought we said. But, yeah, now I get looking back, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool that they even gave us the time of day. But, it, again, it goes back to the whole, I mean, I really didn't care about it. I just, I just thought, what are you, like, really? Because I know that we do a good show, and I'm thinking, what are you, how are you picking apart our show? Because yeah. I didn't listen to any of them. Mm. I just went from, there was another guy in the building that, that told me about it. And we had some listeners that did listen, so they were kind of giving us, but I never went back and listened to. And, and like I told you, anytime now, still to this day, when I 
you know, look some of our videos up, I'll see at the very end, like the job, I don't know how many that they did, but I'll see one of them down there with Opie and Anthony. I'm like, I'm not listening to that. My, my ego is too frail, man. Too fragile. I don't need that. So, Well, thanks for letting us bring it up because I was curious about it. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Brittany Johnson, anything else going on for you? I want to know. Well, there's a lot going on for me, but <laughs> back to you. Uh, Golden State, or are you going with Cleveland? Well, I'm not a okay. I'm not a a, a big basketball fan. I I used to be back in the day, back when the Dennis Rodman played with the Pistons back I mean, way back at Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. people were laughing like before he, it was you just, beat he, people up on the court. Yeah, uh-huh. and he was just the worm. You know, he wasn't like no w- tattoos. Exactly, the worm. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I do. So I'm not a huge ball fan, but uh, I, I have to go with because I know my 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 father-in-law is a big uh, basketball fan. You better uh, fan. say the right answer. Well, and I'm going to say Golden State, so I don't know if that's – is that the right answer? Because okay. <laughs> I heard about this Curry guy. It, you know, of course, how can you not hear about him? And then every once in a while we'd, we'd go over there. I'm like, this guy is unfreaking believable And he seems like – I don't know what – just outside looking in, and I don't know anything about him, but he seems like a really nice guy as far as athletes go. I, I don't it seems know. like it. Seems I've like never it, met him. Who knows? But I'm going to go with Golden State. Good job. So. Awesome. Right. <laughs> so you can find me on Twitter. Uh, go tweet me, bjohnsonabc4. You can find me Sunday nights, Real Sports Live, uh, 1045 on Channel 4. And then, Johnny, you got a nice little show on the weekends, too. Uh, yeah, you can find me uh, Saturdays from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, on Mix 105.1. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Johnny McKeon. That's M-C-K-E-O-N. Well, I really appreciate you, Frankie. I value getting to work with you and to learn from you. Likewise. And uh, thanks for everything you do in this community. It means a lot to us. Well, thanks for asking me to be a part of this. This is cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed days, the dark sacred night. I think to myself